in Proverbs chapter 20, in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 1, the Bible says this in Proverbs 20 verse 1, Wine is a mockerer, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Do any of y'all by any chance remember the days of video stores? You remember video stores? You remember how unlike the days of Netflix, Prime, and Disney Plus, when it came to video stores, you actually had to leave your house, didn't you? You actually had to get in your car and, and drive somewhere. You actually had to have a video card in order to rent a movie, and then you had to bring that movie back in a couple of days once you got finished with it. Remember that? Remember the days of video stores? Believe it or not, but for a couple of years in college, from the time I was 18 to the time I was 20, I actually worked at a video store. I actually worked at a blockbuster video. Some of our young people are thinking, what in the world is that? We'll, we'll Google that later and, and find out what that is. I'm not going to spend time explaining that right now. I will say that blockbusters were a big deal in the 1990s and the early 2000s. And I worked at one for a couple of years in college. In fact, I didn't just work at this blockbuster in Nacogdoches, Texas, but a bunch of college kids worked there with me. A bunch of college kids from Stephen F. Austin State University worked at this blockbuster. In fact, whenever our boss would go home for the night and leave the store to us college kids, well, things would get a little out of hand. A lot of folks would start slacking. It's like that old saying, when the cat's away, the mice will, the mice will play. You know that. I can remember one particular night when things were a little slow. And I was hanging out behind my register, and one of the girls there who was working with me, she came from, she came from the back office with a, with a cup in her hand. She had a red cup. She had a red plastic cup, and she came up to me asking me if I wanted to take a drink of alcohol with her. Now, keep in mind, this girl knew who I was. She knew I was a Christian. She knew I was a very religious person and I was very open and outspoken about my faith. She knew that I had never even tasted alcohol a day in my life and she made it very clear to me on several occasions that she wanted to be the one who broke me. She wanted to be the one who got me to drink some alcohol for the first time. I can remember vividly her standing next to me at my register, holding up that red cup and, 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 and begging me and, and mocking me and pressuring me and saying things like, come on, just take one drink. It's not going to hurt you. Just take a sip. Don't be lame. I can remember her saying that to me. She really tried to pressure me to drink some alcohol. Let me just ask our young people this morning, has it ever happened to you before? Have you ever been pressured by some of your peers to drink alcohol? Let me tell you something. If you've never been pressured, young people, to drink some alcohol before, it's going to happen to you very soon. It's going to happen to you in your near future. 
And the reason why I say that is because you need to understand that drinking alcohol is very popular. It's very popular in our culture. It's very popular on the commercials and in the movies. It's even become very popular among religious people. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've come across religious folks, even some members of the Church of Christ, who look me right at my eye and they'll tell me that they see absolutely nothing wrong with drinking. They see the, they, they see, they see absolutely nothing wrong with with social drinking. They see nothing wrong with going to the bar a couple of nights a week and having some drinks with their with their friends. Some will even try to go to the Bible and say the Bible condones them doing that kind of stuff. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've heard even members of the Lord's church say that kind of stuff. And my question is, are they right? Is that correct? Is there really no big deal for a Christian to drink alcohol since it is the third Sunday of the month? I want to talk with you about that. I want to particularly talk with our young people about that. Young people this morning, I want you to know that contrary to what you may be hearing from your peers, contrary to what you may be hearing from people in your society, contrary to what you may be even hearing from people who claim to be members of the Lord's church, drinking is a big deal. Drinking is a dangerous thing. Drinking is a very unwise and foolish thing. And there are at least three reasons why. Why is it dangerous to drink alcohol? Well, first, it's dangerous to drink alcohol because we need to understand that alcohol negatively, negatively affects your mind. It negatively affects your mind, young people. And you need to understand if you're that if you're going to really follow Jesus, if you're going to be an authentic disciple of Jesus, you can afford to have your mind negatively affected. You can't afford to have your mind negatively impacted for even one second. You know, so often, so often when talking about this issue, you know what a lot of folks like to say? They like to say, well, yeah, the Bible says that drunkenness is a sin, but it never says that drinking is a sin. You ever heard that before? You ever heard folks say before that it's okay to drink as long as you don't get drunk? I want to suggest that there are a couple of problems with that line of thinking. I want to suggest that, that thinking is very flawed for a couple of reasons. First, that thinking is flawed because it fails to consider how God gives instructions. Let me ask you a question. Are there times in the Bible when God clearly and directly tells us that something is wrong and sinful? You better believe there is. You better believe there is. You better believe that in the Bible, in the New Testament, God clearly and directly and emphatically tells us that drunkenness is a sin. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt that God clearly and directly tells us that lying is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Disobeying your parents is a sin. Adultery is a sin. There's no doubt that in the Bible, God often clearly and directly condemns a particular practice. But let me ask you this now. Is that the only way that God condemns something? Is that the only way that God tells us something is wrong? I want to know this. 
I want to know, is anyone here this morning willing to say that smoking crack is not a sin? Anyone here willing to say smoking crack is not a sin? Anyone here willing to say that doing cocaine or doing heroin is not a sin? I'm pretty sure there's not anybody here this morning who's willing to say that God is okay with a person smoking crack and doing heroin. My question next is, is why are you willing to say that? Why are you willing to say that smoking crack is a sin? Why are you willing to say that doing cocaine and heroin is a sin? I ask you that because according to the same logic that a lot of people have when it comes to drinking, as long as there's no direct passage that condemns it, then it must be okay, right? It must be acceptable. I mean, since there's no thou shalt not smoke crack passage in the Bible, then that means God's okay with us doing it, right? Why do we all agree to smoking crack? And doing heroin is a sin. Well, the reason why we all agree with that is because we understand that in addition to God condemning particular practices through direct and clear statements, he also condemns certain things through principles, through general principles. Go in your Bible to Titus chapter 2. Go in your Bible to Titus chapter 2. Young people, I want you to go in your Bible to Titus 2. I want you to mark these verses in your Bible. Titus chapter 2, in verse, beginning with verse 11. There, the apostle Paul talks about the grace of God and how we should respond to God's amazing grace. In Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us God's grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age I want to highlight the word sensibly that's used in verse number 12 my translation the New American Standard translation uses the word sensibly that word sensibly that Paul uses there carries the idea of being sober in fact, some of your translations may use the word sober there instead of sensibly, right? That word sensibly carries the idea of being sober-minded. It carries the idea of having a sound mind. It carries the idea of not being robbed of your inhibitions and your ability to make good judgments. That's what that word sensibly or sober means there in that verse. And my question is, what kinds of things would prevent us in doing what that verse says? What kinds of things would, would prevent us from being sensible and sober-minded as Paul talks about there in that verse? How about this? How about smoking crack? How about doing heroin? How about snorting cocaine? How about Drinking. How about drinking alcohol? I mean, does drinking alcohol cause us to lose our ability to be sober-minded and sensible, as Paul talks about in that verse? You better believe it does. You better believe it does. Even the world understands that. Even the world acknowledges that. Acknowledges that. This is why when it comes to wine and sobriety in our culture, not even all the medical experts can agree on that. Did you know that? 
that you know that not even all the medical experts can agree on when exactly a person loses their sober-mindedness whenever they start drinking alcohol. They can agree on that because there are a lot of factors that contribute in that process. Things like a person's weight, what they're drinking, how much they're drinking, when are they drinking, what's the temperature outside, all that stuff factors, and that's why medical experts can't even agree on this. This is why the DWI limit in most states is different. Did you know that? This is why the FAA says that a pilot cannot have a drop of alcohol at least eight hours before flying a plane. In fact, some airlines, as I was talking to Greg about this a few days ago, they've upped that to about 12 hours. The world understands. The world understands. That alcohol negatively affects a person's mind. The problem is, so often as Christians, we fail to understand that. We fail to understand something that the world even understands. And so go in your Bible, please. The first Peter chapter one. And let's notice some more verses concerning this. First Peter chapter one and verse 13. In first Peter chapter one and verse 13, Peter's going to say this to God's people. He says in first Peter one and verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep what? Sober. There that word is again. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go now to chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Peter says the end of all things is near. Therefore be of what? Sound judgment and sober spirit. There it is again. For the purpose of prayer. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 8. In chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter says, be of, there it is again, sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Notice how Peter, over and over again in his epistles, and the Apostle Paul does this also, over and over again in their epistles, they admonish Christians to be sober, to be alert, to know what's going on at all times. Don't do anything to rob yourself of your ability to make good judgments. Now go to Proverbs again. Go back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23. Young people, I want you to have these verses in your Bible marked. Proverbs 23, 29. I want to know. I want to know, young people. Do you want this stuff right here? I want to know that. Proverbs 23 and verse 29 says, Who has woe? Does anybody here want woe? Who has sorrow? You want sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Do you want that? Who has wet redness of eyes? Solomon tells us who has those kind of things. Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. And it stings like a viper and your eyes will see strange things and your mind, your mind will utter perverse things. And you'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mass. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I wake? You know what I'm going to do when I wake up? I'm going to seek another drink. Notice how while there is no thou shalt not drink language, they're found in that text. What we do find from the wise man is a divine warning. What we do find from the wise man is a warning telling us 
that when it comes to wine or alcoholic beverage, that's dangerous. That is unwise. That is foolish. That is foolish because it messes with your mind. It clouds your judgment. It hinders you from processing things the way you normally would. It robs you of your inhibitions. It causes you to do things that you would not normally do. It causes you to say things that you would not normally say. It causes you to lose your sense of what is right and what is wrong. It ultimately causes you to lose what Paul says that every Christian must have. In Galatians 5 and verse 23, you know what that is? That's self-control. As Christians, we've got to have self-control. You see, due to its ability to take away our sober-mindedness, alcohol can cause us to make some bad decisions. Alcohol can put you in a position where you wake up in the morning in the bed next to someone, not knowing, not knowing how you got in the bed with this person or even who that person is in the first place. Alcohol will do that to you. It, is, it does that to people. Alcohol can cause you to hurt people. It can cause you to hurt innocent people. I have met so many women and young males, young females, young children over the course of my ministry who have been abused by men who are addicted to alcohol. The clinical term for that is they are alcoholics. I have met people, women, children who've been abused by alcoholics. Alcohol can cause you to hurt people, even the people that you love. It can cause you to take life. I know of people, families, who are mourning the loss of loved ones right now because their loved ones were killed by someone whose mind was messed up with alcohol. I've told you about my friend Bubba before having a... Bubba died at 20 years old because he foolishly decided to drink alcohol and get behind the wheel of a car. He killed himself and a family of four. Alcohol will compromise your sobriety. And as Christians, we can't afford to compromise our sobriety because we have a fierce and powerful enemy we are fighting, according to what, according to what Peter said. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, we got to be sober. We got to be alert. We got to know what's going on all the time. I mean, the last thing we need to be doing is consuming something that will give the devil an opportunity in our lives. It's hard enough battling him sober. We don't need to be drinking alcohol and giving him an opportunity when we're not sober. But someone says, Sean, it's only one beer. It's only one drink. It's only one glass of wine. I really don't think I'm going to lose my ability to be sober-minded by having a, a glass of wine or one beer. Really? Really? Here's my question. How would you know that? How would any person know that? How would I know that? How would someone, how would someone like me who has never even tasted alcohol a day in my life, how would I know what you're saying is true? Are you telling me I need to go home today and experiment with that? 
Do I need to do a science project concerning that? Do I need to go home today and drink enough to compromise my sober mindedness so I can know exactly how much not to drink next time so I won't compromise it? Are you telling me I need to sin first so I can know exactly where the line is to not sin next time? Are you telling me I'm supposed to hurt God first? Are you telling me that God wants me to get as close to the line as possible and be arrogant enough to believe that this great enemy, the devil, he doesn't have the ability to push me right over the cliff? Is that what you're telling me this morning? Is that what you're really telling me? I hope you're not telling me that. I hope we all understand that when it comes to God, God is a holy God. God never wants his people to flirt with sin. God never wants his people to get as close to the line as possible and just hope they don't fall off the cliff. God never wants us to do anything that has the potential to cause us to lose what the Bible says we got to have. And that is the ability to be sober. Do we understand that? This enemy we are battling, he's too strong for us to play games with this. Drinking is dangerous because it negatively affects your ability to be sober, like God says. It negatively affects your mind. And it also negatively affects your influence. Your influence as a Christian. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men in such a way. They may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Question, does drinking alcohol, social drinking in particular, does that cause me to do what Jesus talks about in this verse? Does that enable me to shine my light before the world in such a way? That they may see good, righteous works, and as a result of that, want to glorify the Father who's in heaven. If there's anybody here thinking that drinking alcohol helps me do what that verse says, I want you to know something. I want you to know you're just wrong. You're just dead wrong. I want you to understand that when people in our world today see drinking or even think about drinking, they do not typically associate that with godly living. They do not typically associate that with righteous living. They don't say, look at that person over there gulping down a six pack. They just have to be a child of God. Nobody in the world says that. In fact, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that if you saw six of the most godly men I know, the shepherds of this church, men who love God. And are just holy men. You wouldn't say that if you saw these six godly men who shepherd this church walk into one of these liquor stores that's near the church building. You wouldn't say that if you saw me do the same thing. You know that if you caught me walking into one of these liquor stores in the church building, you would get your camera phone out. You would record that. You would call the elders and say, man, let me tell you what I saw the preacher doing. We better get us another preacher. You know you, you, know you would say that. You know, if you caught me doing that kind of stuff, it would destroy my influence with you. And if that would destroy my influence with you, what do you think is going to happen to you and the world if they see you doing the same kind of stuff? Go in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We go back to Peter again. 1 Peter 4 and verse number 3. 
First Peter 4 and verse 3, Peter says this. He says to Christians, for the time already passed, it's sufficient for you have, to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. That's the people of the world. Now watch the language carefully here. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, we know what that is. Carousing, uh-oh, drinking parties. And abominable idolatries. And all of this, they, the world, are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I want you to pay close attention to what Peter says in verse number three. I like this language Peter uses here. I like this language because Peter in this verse completely blows away the notion that social drinking is acceptable to God. He completely blows away the notion that it's okay to, to drink some alcoholic beverages just as long as you don't get drunk. Notice how in this verse, verse 3, Peter makes a clear distinction between drunkenness and drinking parties. Do you see that? Or is that just my Bible that says that? You see that, don't you? We know what drunkenness is. We know what that is. But what are these drinking parties? Well, that would be equivalent today to social drinking. That'd be equivalent to having some drinks with your friends on a Friday night at a restaurant. Peter says that when it comes to being a Christian, when we came to the Lord, we should have gave all that stuff up. The time has passed for us to be doing that stuff. We should have given up drunkenness and drinking parties or social drinking. In fact, when it came to these first century Christians, Peter says they, they did give up that kind of stuff. And by doing so, their old buddies from the world, they were surprised. They were shocked. They actually started persecuting the people of God because their new lives in Christ were exposing their sin. That's what Peter says was going on with these first century Christians. And guess what? That's exactly what the Lord wanted to go on. That's exactly what the Lord is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. Contrary to what a lot of people may suggest, this kind of stuff right here, drinking, social drinking, however you want to say it, going to parties, going to bars, going to social gatherings, and consuming alcohol, that does not help us fulfill our purpose in Jesus Christ. That does not help us shine. That does not help us bring glory to God. That does not enable us to motivate other people to take part in what we're taking part of as new creatures in Christ. Drinking negatively affects your mind. It negatively affects your influence. But then thoroughly, i got to say this. It also negatively affects how you view Jesus. You know, one of the arguments that is often used by those who advocate that Christians should be allowed to dabble in some alcohol every now and then has to do with Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that so often people go to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where Jesus miraculously turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana, and they say, see there, Jesus, he made wine. That means he's okay with drinking. He's okay with social drinking. You ever heard Christians say that before? You ever heard Christians say that because Jesus turned some water into wine, that means, that means God's okay with us. Drinking alcoholic beverages today. There are a couple of problems with that line of reasoning. First, 
That line of reasoning does a terrible injustice to John chapter 2. It does a terrible injustice to John chapter 2. We misuse John 2 when we go to it to, to try to defend drinking alcohol. I want you to listen to me very carefully right now. And I mean this with every ounce of my being. The Holy Spirit did not put that account in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 in the Bible as a proof text for people who want to advocate drinking. The Holy Spirit did not put that text in the Bible to even show us how Jesus feels about drinking. Instead, the reason why the Holy Spirit put that there in the Bible is to let us know that Jesus could do miracles. It is to let us know that he has supernatural power. It is to give us supernatural evidence to believe in his supernatural claim to be the son of God. John chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 is not a liquor passage. Instead, it's a miracle passage. And so let's just stay away from messing up that text and using it for something that the Holy Spirit is in heaven wondering, what in the world are they doing? But secondly, a second problem with trying to use this text to defend drinking is trying to compare what's going on here with Jesus and these people at this wedding to what we got going on today with alcohol. It isn't that simple. It isn't simple at all. I mean, if it was that simplistic, then why in the world did Solomon tell us what he told us in Proverbs 20, verse 1? Why in the world would Solomon tell us wine is a mockerer, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise? Are we to believe that Solomon and Jesus are contradicting themselves? It's not that simple. Clearly, there's a difference between what the Lord is doing in John 2 and what Solomon is talking about in Proverbs chapter 20. In fact, in order for us to see the difference in these two passages, you know, we're going to have to do we're going to under have we're going to have to understand how the Bible used the word wine. We got to understand how the Bible used the word wine. You see, unlike how we use the word wine in 21st century America to simply refer to alcoholic beverages in New Testament times, the use of the word wine was more broadly. It had a more broad use. Sometimes, sometimes the word was used to refer to the alcoholic stuff. Fermented wine, stuff that gets you drunk, but other times in the Bible, the word wine is used to talk about the non-alcoholic stuff, the unfermented stuff, the stuff that won't get you drunk. I can give you an example of that if you want it. You want Isaiah chapter 65 verse 8? Where Isaiah the prophet says, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for there is benefit in it. So I will act on behalf of my servants in order not to destroy them all. Notice how here in this passage, Isaiah talks about wine. He talks about new wine that is found in the cluster. Question, what in the world is that? What is this new wine that's found in the cluster? Well, if we're Christians this morning, we should all know what kind of wine that is. We should all know exactly what that is. We're all going to be drinking that in about an, about an hour and a half or so. That's just simply a reference to grape juice. That's simply a reference to fruit of the, of the vine, liquid that comes from the grape. That's what Isaiah is talking about there. 
Sometimes the word wine is simply being used to talk about grape juice, but other times, let's just be honest about it, other times in the Bible, the word wine is being used to talk about alcohol. Other times it is being used to talk about the stuff that will get you drunk. In fact, even when it came to the stuff that will get you drunk in first century times, we need to understand that that stuff was often heavily diluted with water. Much of that stuff was often heavily diluted with two to or even three times more water so that the people drinking it would not get drunk. It wasn't even close to this kind of stuff we find in Fry's or Walmart, these liquor stores today. These two things are totally have nothing in common. It's apples and oranges. And so before trying to use John chapter two, to go and get you some liquor and fries or Walmart or go to the bar. Ask yourself some reasonable questions about that text first. Ask yourselves questions like what kind of wine were they drinking at that wedding in John chapter two? Was it the fermented stuff or was it the unfermented stuff? Was it the alcoholic stuff or was it the non-alcoholic stuff? And if it was the fermented stuff, if it was the alcoholic stuff, then what in the world are we going to do with this verse? What in the world are we going to do with John 2 and verse 10? What in the world are we going to do when after Jesus turned that water into wine, miraculously, someone says every man serves the good wine first, and the people have drunk freely. They already been drinking freely. Then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine. That's the wine Jesus made. You've kept it until now. What are we going to do with that passage? Are we going to say that Jesus kept the party going on this occasion by providing more liquor? Are we going to say that Jesus used a miracle? To help a bunch of people who were already tipsy get tipsier. Are we going to say that Jesus helped a bunch of people violate what Solomon clearly teaches against in Proverbs chapter 20? Are we really going to say that about Jesus the Christ? I hope we don't blaspheme his name like that. I hope we understand that when it came to Jesus Christ and when he was on this earth, he wasn't just holy. He was perfectly holy. He was sinless. He condemned sin. He would never take part in helping a bunch of people get under the influence of Satan and give him the opportunity to destroy and hinder their minds. Jesus would not do that. That's not the son of God who died on the cross for us. Now, there's a lot more I could say about this this morning, and we may deal with that at another time. But for now, let's go back to the story I started with. What in the world did I do? What did I do when that girl came up to me with that alcohol in that cup? Did I give in to her? Did I drink the stuff she had in that cup? I'm here to tell you this morning, and I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I want to tell you this morning that I didn't do that. I didn't take a sip of, of what was in that cup, and you know what? I don't regret it at all. I don't regret it nearly 20 years later. In fact, I've never met anyone who's ever come up to me and say, hey, you know what, Sean? When I was in high school or college, you know what I wish I did more of? I wish I drank more. 
I wish I drank more alcohol. I regret not drinking more of a beverage that causes people to lose their inhibitions and their ability to make good judgments and vomit and pass out and hurt other people. I've never met anyone who's come up to me in my life and say, I regret I didn't drink more when I was a young person. I've never met anybody like that, and you probably hadn't either. In fact, you know what I've met? I met the opposite. I've met people whose lives have been destroyed by alcohol. I've met people who've, met, who've made bad decisions because of alcohol. I've met people who have, who have broken up their families and are in jail, and they've become, uh, become addicted to this poison because they took the first drink. They took the first drink. There's just so many dangers when it comes to this stuff. But I'm just a preacher. I can't make you do anything. you got to decide what you're going to do. What are you going to do? Will you choose to compromise your sobriety? Will you choose to compromise your godly inf influence? Will you choose to truly follow Jesus and not give him just part of you, but every part of you, your heart? If there's someone here this morning who needs to truly start following Jesus, to give him your mind and your body, maybe for the first time, you have an opportunity to do that right here and right now. But that means you need to acknowledge your belief in him, repent of your sins, and obey his commandment to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, or if you need to come back to him because you wandered away from the fold. Whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning, we're going to invite you to come to the front right here.